Grace and peace to you from God our Father, through the blood of his Son, your Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our benefit this morning from Leviticus chapter 4, verses 3 to 7. If the anointed priest sins, bring guilt on the, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin which he has sinned a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head, and kill the bull before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary, And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So far the word. Heavenly Father, these are your words. We know them to be the truth. We pray that you would set us apart through them. Amen. Please be seated. When I was in college, as it happened, uh, I wasn't flush with money. Maybe even a little bit tight, you might say. I'm sure none of you can relate. A friend and roommate introduced me to a renewable source of income that happened to be in my own body. It was my blood, specifically the platelet cells in my blood. All it took was a 25-minute drive down the road, so maybe a couple hours of my time, a a needle in one of my arms, and maybe a bit of dehydration following, and I'd have 20 or 30 dollars to spend. My blood didn't make me rich, but it showed that it was valuable. These altar sacrifices pictured a similar thing among God's Old Testament people, There was value in blood. These were an agrarian people, maybe more so, at least um, very personally, more so than you or I perhaps are. So God requiring the blood of their animals, it demonstrated to them again and again and again that there was value in the blood. But it did another thing too. God didn't tell them to tap their own veins. He didn't ask for them to donate uh, two tablespoons or even a pint of their own blood. Turns out their own blood wasn't blemishless enough. When we talk of our offspring, when your parents or grandparents perhaps speak of you or when you who have offspring speak of your own, you might say kind of proudly, That's my own flesh and blood. Blood, in a very simplified way, even for us who don't deal with animals or even see that blood shed on a day-to-day basis, even for us, at the very essence of our lives, blood has value. It has great worth. If it didn't, we wouldn't take out things like insurance policies, life insurance specifically. The Israelites' own blood, however, 
their own worth wasn't, wasn't enough, not before God. It wasn't valuable enough. It wasn't able to make them clean enough before God or before his altar. To read through the whole book of Leviticus, and it can be something of a slog, but to read through it is to be assured that we, in all of our 21st century ingenuity and creativity, that we haven't managed to create any new vices. Not even one. Not one new sin have we come up with since God's people of Old Testament times. The people of promise, God's people, were contaminated blood. And you and I, we are no different. Our tongues are tainted with slander and with gossip and with failures to speak rightly or nobly when we're given the opportunity. Our hearts are flush with pride and soaked with arrogance. Soaked, you say, Pastor Madsen, that sounds a bit strong. Arrogance is a strong word. We manage to be arrogant in Minnesota nice sort of ways, don't get me wrong. We don't always say to everyone else how wonderful, how righteous or clean we are, but we often expect others to estimate as much simply because we're always well-intended, because we always meant to do well. I always meant to do well by my wife or by my children, and that's supposed to count for enough. That's supposed to be clean enough, or so we arrogantly presume. And such a shallow notion of clean. This is what makes our own blood, just like the Israelites' blood, blemished blood. It strikes me every time around this year when we come to the Lenten hymn again, stricken, spitten, and afflicted, that one of the verses starts out, and it expects Christians to be singing it, mind you. You who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose your evil great. And then it points us to the cross where God's son has to give the only blood that's blemishless enough and says, if you have any misunderstandings about your cleanness, about how blemished you are, understand what blood it required for your cleanness. Imagine you're 16 years old. For some of you, that's not difficult. For others of us, we have to jog the memory. But I want you to imagine you've been caught up in a great sin. And for a while, it was only known by you, but now it's become rather public. Not even rather public, very public. So much so that it's not only going to affect you with shame and with consequences, but now your family is also deeply affected. But if that weren't enough, the consequences of this have left you in such desperate straits that now you are in great need of help and assistance and care from your own family, the very family that is being negatively affected, shamed and, and harmed by your own sins, and you need help from them. Think how foolish you would have to be, how arrogant, actually, you would have to be to go before them and plead for their help and for their care and assistance based on how good you have been, based on your own blood. You have offended them and dragged them into your own sin, and now you would go to them and just say, remember how, 
how overall great I've been. I want you to remember that right now. Think of how crazy that would be. You might go to them begging and pleading, but you would certainly do so going on the basis of some other blood, not your own. Better blood. That's the foreshadowing of all of these Old Testament sacrifices that are unfolded in the book of Leviticus that maybe seem overdone there, that are provided at God's altar. All of that sacrifice, all of that blood is pointing God's people away from their own blood to better blood. Better blood that is finally brought to completion in the blood. The blood of God's once-for-all sacrifice in his Son. The New Testament book of Hebrews, in many ways, acts kind of like a, a sequel to the Old Testament book of Leviticus. It brings the sacrifices commissioned by God to a perfect and lasting and finally a saving truth. The writer of Hebrews says, If the blood of bulls and the blood of goats and the blood of calves could cleanse symbolically, could cleanse flesh on the outside so that the people could come into and go out from the temple, if it could do that kind of cleaning symbolically, how much more? Does the blood of Christ cleanse our consciences from our dead works, from our lifeless blood works, so that we can worship, so that we can confidently approach the God who has real life in his blood? In bargaining deals, it's often said, money talks. Maybe you've heard that said before. It's kind of what's being said when somebody posts on an advertising sign or best offer. The money will do the talking. It speaks loudly, and the blood of Christ speaks more loudly than any. It speaks loudly and winsomely in your behalf and in mine. So writes St. John. If anyone sins... I love how St. John writes, if anyone sins. If anyone sins, that one has an advocate. They have a defense attorney with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the unblemished one. And he himself is the propitiation. That's a big way of saying he is the blood money. He is the blood money for our sins, and not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. When we enter a house of God, when we walk before an altar, how appropriate, how fitting, how biblical that those places have altars to remind us that it required blood, that it even requires blood for us to go here, to come here before the Lord confidently. When we come into the house of the Lord and we sit down confidently and we sing confidently and we depart confidently, it's because we come with that blood, the better blood. When we pray to our Heavenly Father, we go before him confidently, as boldly as his children, but children only by that better blood. And finally, when our last hour shall come, whether that's next hour or 80 years and an hour from now, when our last hour will come, we will expect heaven, we can rightly expect heaven, our paradise to be open to us, 
exclusively because of that better blood. The better blood of Jesus is the blood that is good for living and it is good for dying. Let us then, in that blood, approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy, so that we may find grace to help us in our every need. In the name of Jesus and his better blood. Amen. We pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you promised your Son as the once-for-all sacrifice, the better blood for sins, and then you gave him, as promised, into flesh and blood, into suffering and death for our own sins. And he shed this blood willingly. He is the priest of his own sacrifice. May we behold this lamb, treasuring highly and receiving regularly the blood of your Son, our great priest, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one true God, now and forever. Amen. We sing the hymn.